At Fidelity, value is automatic, starting with the rate you can get on your cash when you open a new retail brokerage account. Learn more at fidelity.com slash trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends that's going to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After some terrific performance in the final weeks of 2019, well, what can I say? The averages, they got hammered today. Dow tumbling 234 points. S&B shedding 0.71%. NASDAQ losing 0.79%. As Wall Street started to worry about Iran. Now, when I went away for the holidays, I really wasn't expecting 2020 to start off with such a bang, as the U.S. government took out one of Iran's most important generals yesterday. Caught most of us by surprise. And the stock market hates surprises almost as much as it hates geopolitical instability. Which brings me to the game plan for next week. It seems almost certain that the Iranian regime will retaliate, although we have no idea how. And that's the big open question for Monday. Maybe they'll start more trouble in Iraq. Well, we know Iran's good at storming embassies. Maybe they'll shut down the Straits of Hormuz. Maybe they'll paralyze the oil market. Maybe they'll attack our allies in the region like they did Saudi Arabia. Maybe they will launch a cyber attack, which we are going to talk about later in the show with CrowdStrike. The truth is, we don't know. That said, we have so much oil in this country that there's not much the Iranians can do to wreck the global oil market. And we saw this when they blew up that Saudi oil refinery in September. And it's also why Exxon and Chevron stock both ended the day in the red. Pretty stunning, isn't it? More on that later, too. So while the averages could get hurt on Monday, I'm urging you, please don't panic. No one ever made a dime panicking. Beyond the Iranian situation, we've got some important macro data coming next week. I've got to relate that to stocks at all times. It all starts with the Purchasing Managers Index of PMI numbers on Monday. That gives us the first snapshot of how the economy did just last month. I think we'll see a continuation of the same trend. Decent growth, nothing too exciting. And that's the optimal situation for higher stock prices, because when things get too exciting and the growth is more than decent, the Fed may feel compelled to slam the brakes on the economy by raising interest rates. I don't see that happening. Why do I feel so sanguine? We had a new wrinkle in the data. People last year's rate cuts from the Fed are now working, and that should give us a nice boost. I know a lot of people hate it when the Federal Reserve gives us easy money, but these cuts stimulate the economy. They've also been responsible for a weaker dollar. I always, I always uh, have said it will work because they always do. In my 40 years of investing experience, you know, rate cuts have mattered every time, except during the Great Recession, when they were a little too, uh, a little too late. Yet every time the Fed cuts, there are a bunch of naysayers who insist it will do nothing. And you know what? Every time they're wrong. <laughs> Tuesday, we get durable goods. Now, typically, I don't focus on this, but you know what? This number has been fairly strong for years. Biggest durable goods? Airplanes. And the biggest airplane in terms of sales? Oh, Boeing 737 MAX. Now, we don't know if that plane will ever fly again. I need to consider that verdict within the realm, people. And I think that might be one of the biggest problems in the economy. My take. Boeing's new CEO, David Calhoun, needs to find a retired general. How about the major general from the Air Force? Uh, there's a general from the Air Force Academy that uh, is retiring. How about them? Got big, great flying experience. A crisis manager. 
help get the story out correctly. And, well, let's just say they need to bring in a major, well-respected law firm to help earn back the company's lost credibility. And boy, does the nation need that. In other words, Boeing has to start thinking about ways to make it so that the max isn't the max anymore. Even if it means, I know this is something, again, that people aren't considering, gutting and retrofitting every single one. Whatever approach they take, the company needs to stop insisting this is merely just a software problem. I don't think Calhoun can do this alone. But then, again, he doesn't have to. Uh, not to be petulant, but why don't they listen to me for once? Previous CEO sure didn't. Wednesday, we get the first big earnings report of the year, and many will consider them suspect. Let's start with the most suspect, Walgreens Boots Alliance, which remains crippled by the idea that it can't win in the front of the store, thanks to competition from Amazon, and it can't win in the back of the store because of some major structural changes in the way we buy drugs. You want pharmacy exposure? Oh, go buy the higher quality CVS, which has its own pharmacy benefit manager, Caremark, and its own health maintenance organization, Aetna. It's got it all. Lennar, one of the nation's biggest home builders, also reports. Now, this whole industry doesn't get enough respect. Rodney Dangerfield here. Lennar is incredibly well run with seemingly endless margin expansion. And I think it's in a great position now that millennials are finally starting to buy homes in large numbers. Yet the commentary around them is always so boorish. And that's the B-double-O kind. It drives me crazy. And it's not just Lennar. The most, uh, the most hated home builder, KB Homes, just keeps uh, rattling off along without much analyst endorsement, even, well, after multiple years. Again, I shake my head. What's the deal? We also get results from two of the most controversial stocks in the entire market, Constellation Brands, SDZ, and Bed Bath & Beyond. Constellation is a former market darling. Investors love the beer and liquor company thanks to the strength of Corona and Modelo. But lately, consumers have moved on to hard seltzers. I hate them. And Constellation seems late to the game. Plus, their $4 billion investment in canopy growth, the big Canadian cannabis play, is looking, uh, let's say, very different now that the market's turned against... Ganja. Unfortunately, legalized weed has failed to live up to its hype thanks to massive oversupply, the lack of a coherent U.S. market, and the new focus on the dangers of vaping, whatever that is. Well, Constellation has turned Canopy into a powerhouse of sorts. It's it's really a nice house in a really ugly neighborhood. The house of pain. That's the address. So uh, let's see what they say. I think this company is too good to be written off. At some point, the cannabis industry will be worth dominating. But that might not be very soon. Then again, if one of the Democrats other than Joe Gateway Drug Biden ends up winning in November, well, legalization could be on the table. And you know what? That's going to turn this stock around real fast. How about Bed Bath & Beyond? B-B-B-Y? I think the recent rally here is all about a short squeeze. Most people don't believe that CEO Mark Tritton, late at Target, can turn this company around. They say it's too late. I'm inclined to be skeptical, too, although there are so many easy changes they could make, and the balance sheet is so robust that the stock makes sense for speculation. Giving up on this incredibly undermanaged chain right now just seems premature. Maybe this isn't the breakout quarter. It's too soon. You just got there. But if it gets hit, because it isn't, bye-bye-bye. Finally, Friday, we get the Labor Department's non-farm payroll report, and the most important macro number could change the market's whole trajectory. A two-odd employment number, and we'll immediately start factoring in a slew of rate hikes that never come. A two-week number creates a cascade of hope for even more rate cuts that may never come. Good or bad, I think the stock market will exaggerate either forecast. That said, if stocks run too much into the employment report and we get a strong number, expect the average to get hit. As the Armageddonists, I can't get them out of my head. Start arguing that the Fed needs to tighten, tighten as soon as possible. If that happens, I'm betting it'll be a buying opportunity. The bottom line, 
The Iran situation has given us something new to worry about, but the economy remains strong. So strong that let's just try to stay opportunistic, please, as we head into the first full week of a fabulous new decade. Let's go to Ann in Indiana. Ann! Jim, welcome back. Oh, thank you, Ann. It was great to get away for a little bit. I needed it. My family was very angry at me. They, they, my girls were saying, Dad, finally, finally. finally. And um, they're right. And I've been wrong. What's up? So the CEO, as you know, from IDEX departed. So what thrust is best of breed in the healthcare and the humanization of pets neighborhood? Well, it, it still works. You know, so Edis has a new uh, uh, CEO, Ms. Peck. That, she's very good, very talented. And I'm inclined to buy Zoetis over IDEX Labs right now. I want the new CEO to, to come to the show. That would really help us. Let's go to Maureen in Arizona. Maureen. Hi, how are you doing? You know what? I'm back from vacation. I'm ready to roll. How about you? I'm good, too. Uh, question for you. Uh, I am 67 years old. I have 145 shares of 3M stock, which is down 21.5%, and has been for almost three straight years with no profit. Should I sell it and buy more Amazon, which is up 33% in my portfolio? Yeah, I think so. Now, I know that Steve Tusa, the really smart analyst over at J.P. Morgan, uh, upgraded the stock from a sell to a hold. Uh, I'm not looking for a sell to hold. I'm not looking just to make income. Uh, especially where there's some troubling, uh, the dividend's fine, but there's some troubling anti, uh, troubling pollution stuff going on there in terms of groundwater. Uh, Amazon, you know what? It's too good not to own. Now, I know the market ha- always has something new to worry about, and we sure got it with Iran. But the economy remains strong, and that's what matters. Job growth, low inflation, stay opportunistic. Uh, opportunism. It's going to be a theme again. Sorry. On Man Money tonight, Iran has shown a talent for cyber attacks, and business could be a prime target for retaliation. As geopolitical tensions rise, how can the U.S. prepare itself? Oh, boy, I'm talking to the CEO of CrowdStrike to find out. And we're going to find out about that Ukraine situation in the present, too. Plus, 2019 might be in the books, but knowing what separated last year's winners from its losers could be the key to a profitable 2020, particularly if today's decline. I'm going to dig into stocks that dominated the S&P 500 and the Dow. And you know what? You, you, you don't need to be a Wall Street insider to spot the stocks that made the Dow go up so much. But will these winners take a victory lap? Are they sustainable? Or could new names take up to the charge in the new year? We got to find out. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. At Fidelity, we work to get you a better price for every trade. See how much we saved investors last year at fidelity.com slash price improvement. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. After a fabulous run in 2019, you got to ask, can the stock market continue to roar in 2020? That's all I heard today. we got two big picture variables here. There's the election and this new situation with Iran. Listen to me. 
whether you love Trump or hate him. I know a lot of people know such. There's no denying he's been very good for the stock market. I don't want to hear anything. No denying it. This is the most pro-business administration since Reagan. Maybe even the most pro-business administration in my lifetime. On top of that, the Trump White House really cares about the health of the stock market. Some of that's the influence of Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, my former Kudlow and Kramer co-host. At the same time, a lot of people are now very worried about Iranian retaliation for the strike on one of their top channels yesterday. We don't know what they're going to do. Uh, Will they close the Straits of Hormuz? Will they attack more oil refineries in Saudi Arabia? Will they storm our embassy in Iraq? Will they restart the nuclear program? But these are a new set of risks that didn't exist even two days ago. Now, every year at this point, I like to look at the biggest winners in Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500, get a sense of whether the rally is sustainable. This year, I'm making three assumptions. First, the election matters to the stock market, and Democratic nominees matter, too. Expect the market to do a lot better in a Trump-Biden race than a Trump-Warren or Trump-Sanders race. Second, I'm betting the economy will keep humming along at a healthy pace that still won't make the Federal Reserve feel compelled to raise interest rates. They've learned their lesson. And third, whatever happens with Iran, it won't be a big enough deal to upend our economy. Could there be some other exogenous event that knocks us off course? Uh, Absolutely. But then we do what we always do. When the facts change, we change our strategy. With that in mind, let's drill down on the best performers in the Dow for 2019. Apple. Apple was at the top of the heap. Roaring 86% last year. Of course, Apple got clobbered in the fourth quarter of 2018, and erasing those losses account for some of this move. But the stock was able to do that because the company did much better than anyone expected, especially after that hideous pre-announcement that occurred a year ago today. Apple's released a string of hit products like the iPhone 11 and the AirPod Pro. I always tell you to own Apple, don't trade it. Still, even I wasn't expecting this kind of success from these two products. I figured the company was transitioning to more of a play on, just, on subscription services, which meant the hardware component will become less important. While the subscription business is on fire, turns out the hardware is doing great, too. A lot of it, by the way, is this, the camera, which is just remarkable. Everyone thinks I'm a professional photographer. Even Tim Cook. Can Apple keep climbing? Two firms bumped their price targets big time, although the stock fell almost a percent today. But I think you can definitely go higher. So my recognition remains the same. I know it's a broken record, but this one's made you a lot of money on it. Don't trade it. The only exception, when the stock runs up going into the quarter, sometimes it makes sense to wait for a pullback. But otherwise, please don't overthink this one. The second best performer, Microsoft, up 55%. Unlike Apple, Mr. Softy's gotten substantially more expensive on a price-to-earnings ratio, now selling for 26 times next year's earnings. But that said, Microsoft's not expensive if you believe Azure. That's their cloud platform. will continue to grow at an incredible pace, while the PC remains strong and the gaming business keeps bubbling up. Microsoft's become the preeminent senior growth stock of this era. I bet it stays that way. And if you watch Wildcard Weekend, you're going to see it all over the place. Third, J.P. Morgan with a 43% rally, fueled in part by the fact that so many other stocks got so expensive that the consistent banks, like J.P. Morgan, deserved a higher valuation. It was relative. In a good economy with the Federal hold, the banks make sense. J.P. Morgan's got a ton of consistent growth, and this whole industry thrives on the Trump administration's light-handed approach to regulation. Of course, depending on how the election unfolds, this group's prospects could start to look very different, really in play in 2020. Fourth, Visa, up 42%. This remains a fantastic investment a great way to play the global transition from paper to plastic. It's virtually with no virtu- no interest rate expense. 
And, and it, without that interest rate exposure, well, this becomes the preeminent fintech stock. Both Visa and MasterCard have nice predictable growth because so much of the world still uses pa- uh, paper. Can you believe it? By the way, paper was up about 6% in 2018. Plus, if Visa gets a real chance to operate in China, the stock could have a lot more upside. Fifth, United Technologies up more than 40%. And this thing is rallying in part because it's merging with Raytheon and getting closer to breaking itself up into three separate companies. There's a real scarcity of high-quality industrials that are worth owning here. United Technologies is one of them. Raytheon's ramping. Remember, they're merging. Because of Iran, like all the defense stocks, there's still one more good reason to buy the stock. But remember, I think the defense move is a little bit ephemeral. It's up so much today. Six, Goldman Sachs. Now, you might wonder how Goldman could gain more than 37% last year with all its growth problems and that Malaysian risk. The answer, simple. The stock never deserved to be as low as it was. Goldman's in the process of transforming itself, becoming more of a retail-focused outfit that's teamed up with Apple on a new credit card that could soon start delivering uh, terrific numbers. I've done a lot of work on it. It's a great coup that uh, Goldman got this. The stock can't stay this cheap, though, given how much money uh, it, it can make in an improving global economy. If Goldman gets out of this, Malaysia may last for less than two, less than five billion, of which two billion U.S., three billion Malaysia. That's a win. Seventh, Nike, which has done the unfathomable, picking up an incredible amount of Chinese business at the height of the trade war. Not even Starbucks can say that. When your weakest market is the United States, that tells you that's plenty of upside. Lately, Nike's become more of a tech company. Reminds me of the way Starbucks embraced technology. Makes perfect sense to me that John Donahoe, formerly of ServiceNow, is the new CEO. Just like technologist Kevin Johnson, formerly of Juniper Networks, now runs Starbucks. Hey, you know what? I think the stock can go higher, even though it's up 36.7%. Eighth, Procter & Gamble is the consumer package goods kingpin has, uh, has figured out how to become a more accountable company while taking back share in emerging markets. Most important, by bolstering its organic growth while managing costs, Procter's been able to generate an earnings explosion. After running up close to 36% last year, I think this thing's got even more upside. Don't forget, Procter's been floundering for years. It only just started to play catch-up. Oh, and remember, the dollar's been down for nine straight weeks. Fantastic for an international powerhouse like Procter & Gamble. Nine, Disney! Last year, the mouse announced a cheap new online streaming service that made the business much less dependent on ESPN. Over the past couple of months, we've seen the results. They're incredible! These days, people are paying more and more for entertainment, and Disney's the last of the pure plays, the last of the senior growth entertainment pure plays. Scarcity is a wonderful thing in the stock market. Hey, everybody I talk to on vacation has got the as bought the package, including um, people in the family. Finally, number 10, American Express. With a stock up over 30% last year, I think it's still not compensating you for the immense scale of the China opportunity, thanks to the phase one trade deal that may open their markets to U.S. credit uh, credit card companies that nobody was talking about because of Iran. Stock simply isn't that expensive, especially if the global economy shifts back into growth mode, as I think it will. The bottom line, look, there aren't enough large capitalization stocks with good growth, bountiful dividends, and big buybacks that really benefit from a stronger global economy. Many of these stocks are in the Dow, and I think these 10 are most emblematic of the upside potential in 2020, as long as the current environment persists, which is exactly what I'm expecting. Stay with Kramer. At the start of every year, I like to review the biggest winners and the averages. And while the top 10 players in the Dow are pretty straightforward, the top 10 in the S&P 500, they're a lot harder to fathom. 
about what happened. First, there's AMD, the chip maker that folded 148% last year. There are a lot of reasons for this run, but they all start with Lisa Su, the visionary CEO who saw exactly what the PC, server, and gaming markets needed. Can you believe that? She executed a tour de force turnaround in 2019. The question is, can AMD repeat that performance? Listen, when the company reported last, we heard endlessly that it had a weaker than expected quarter. But you didn't hear that from me. And after dallying in the low 30s for a bit, it erupted to the high 40s. I think this negative assessment was crazy. When you consider all the issues that are plaguing Intel as being competitor, I think this company's got a bright future. Second best performer, Lamb Research. Up close to 115%. This semiconductor capital equipment maker is benefiting from a terrific new CEO. That's Tim Archer, who bought back a massive amount of stock when, this, when Lamb Research was a lot lower. Even better, the semiconductor cycle is bottoming, which is when Lamb's stock comes roaring back. We own this one for the Travel Trust. But you know what? Candidly, we've been ringing the register, at least on some. Why? Because the stock simply isn't as cheap as when we first started buying it which, by the way, was along with Tim Archer. Still, I wouldn't sell everything here when the semiconductor cycle turns like it did in the fourth quarter. You can throw money at this group and make a fortune. That's why KLA Ten, uh, Corporation, the company formerly known as KLA Tencore, was the third best performing at 99%. However, the, the trick with these stocks is to buy them before everyone realizes that the turn is at hand. That's why we're ringing the register. The easy money has clearly been made in both stocks. The fourth biggest winner is nothing short of incredible. I'm talking about Target with its 94% gain. There's been a dramatic schism in retail between the haves and the haves-nots. The haves are embodied by watch. My acronym for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. In this environment, you either need to be a dominant player online or you got to offer customers incredible prices. Target does both. Now, all five of Watch are remarkable in their own way. But Target stands out as the best performer, thanks in part to the remarkable leadership of CEO Brian Cornell. As I look back on the biggest winners of 2019, I am astounded how many of these companies were thought to be second-rate operators. Same thing with AMD and Lisa Su. Uh, at least coming into the year, with Target, lots of analysts saw them as a roadkill for Walmart and Amazon, thanks in part to their lack of a serious omnichannel strategy. But Cornell laid out big bucks to buy shipped, S-H-I-P-T, beefing up his same-day delivery capabilities, and he doubled down on high-quality private label brands where the money is. He defied all conventional retail wisdom and developed a multiple form factor uh, strategy, small urban, large urban, and hitherto under, underserved neighborhoods that other companies had given up on, college campuses. Like Lisa Sue, I think Cornell is one of the greatest turnaround artists in the history of American business. Hey, speaking of turnarounds, the S&P's fifth best performer was Chipotle, CMG. Everyone who gave up on this thing after its streak of health scares has now watched this train leave the station. It is never coming back, people. All aboard! Historically, we know it usually takes the American people roughly 18 months to forget about these food scares. And that's exactly what happened here. But Chipotle also got a major boost after it brought in Brian Nickel as the new CEO in 2018. Oh, the skepticism was thick. Nickel used to run Taco Bell, which seemed like the polar opposite of the natural and organic Chipotle. Well, in the end, Nickel preserved everything that was good about the company while getting up to speed on throughput technology. When the customers started coming back, they found the place as scrumptious as ever, but also far more convenient. Hey, sometimes they didn't even come. They uh, used the, uh, ch- the, the po- Chipotle through lane, the Chipotle, or even better, they had it delivered. Throughout the downturn, Jack Hartung, the amazing CFO, never strayed from coming on this show, no matter how weak the numbers were. 
Hey, that's another sign of a tremendous company. The fact that Chipotle is just going back into the double-digit same-store sales tell me there is more good ahead here. The six best performers are play on 5G wireless called Corvo. And though the stock was up 91% last year, I think you ain't seen nothing yet. 5G-oriented chipmakers like Corvo have been on fire. Lots of profit-taking today. Uh, and though I like Skywork Solutions better, profit-taking there, Corvo has more room to run because its stock was so hated coming into the year. It's not as hated now. Number seven is one that you may never have heard of, even though it was up 90%. It's called Copart, C-O-P-A-R-T. We often hear about the digitization of entire industries. But did vehicle salvage business, well, was that digitized nationwide? Yes, by Copart. When you have a natural disaster like Hurricane Harvey in Houston a few years ago, Copart comes in and it takes care of the car and truck detritus. Just wanted to say that word. The company also is taking car auctions, which used to be quaint local affairs, made them national via the web. Even though Copart is an incredible, powerful story, the stock is ridiculously underfollowed by Wall Street. It sells for 32 times earnings. I think you can keep going higher uh, until we start hearing from analysts recommending it. And then maybe I say it's time has come to sell. Copart's a lot like Cintas. That's the uniform rental service. It's its own special category of its without much competition. I'm betting that makes the stock even more likely to rally in 2020. And if this turns out to be a bad year for hurricanes, holy cow, the sky's the limit. Eighth best performer, Quandry, Xerox. This is a restructuring play that made a fortune selling its, uh, its part of a joint venture with Fujifilm. Fuji now Xerox is trying to sell itself to HP, even as management's presenting itself, frankly, as the buyer, not the seller. Quizzical. It was only two years ago that HP tried to buy Xerox, so I, I don't get the aversion now. Except, of course, that Xerox stock is up 86.6% last year. I think that may be running out of gas. I recommend selling some Xerox if you own it. Number nine. Applied Materials, another semiconductor capital equipment company that's been roaring the same reasons as KLA and Lamb. Finally, number 10, Apple. The only Dow stock to make it in the top 10 of the S&P. I know I covered it well. I remain a champion, like I told you earlier. Own it, don't trade it. Still working! Bottom line, when you look at last year's best performers, the S&P 500, you see a lot of companies with phenomenal management that were unfairly written off as losers and then came roaring back thanks in part to improving fundamentals driven by the CEOs. I think the ones that are riding powerful secular trends have a lot more room to run. I need to speak to Buddy in Connecticut. Buddy! Hello, Jim. First off, Happy New Year. And, Jim, I want to wish you many more. Oh, same to you and your family. Thank you so much. Jim, currently I have a large holding of MasterCard, and seeing it has had such a long-term run-up and hitting all-time highs, I want to ask you your opinion. Should I hold, reduce, or purchase more shares? Okay, so you may know we've got this club, ActionAlertsPlus.com club, where we talk about stocks all the time. And I discussed this back and forth email yesterday with the group, with Jeff Marks and Zeb Fema. And what we decided was, no, MasterCard's going to have terrific double-digit growth. No, it's not time to sell. If anything, on a dip, buy, buy, buy. Marsha in Kentucky. Marsha! Yes. Hi, Jim. Marsh, how are you? Good. I'm calling from Bourbon Country now in Louisville, Kentucky. All right. And my question is concerning Twitter. I purchased it right after the IPO in 2014 for $30 a share. So should I hold it or sell it? And what stock would be a better investment for this sector if I sold it? Okay. On Mad Money, we believe it doesn't matter where you bought 
It matters where it's going. And I think that stock can go higher. I believe I was talking to my writing partner, Matt Horween. It looks like it's finally basing. That's the stock. The business is okay, Not as great as I'd like it. But I think it can be owned, not sold. New year. Same mission. Last year's best performers are riding powerful trends or have unbelievable CEOs or both. Plus, we're made of money at tensions with Iran are escalating. But what does it mean on the cyber front? Boy, the stock's rod today. Well, what a lucky break. We got the CEO of CrowdStrike. Let's see what he's thinking. Then worried about the geopolitical tensions with Iran and how it'll affect the market? I'll tell you why that may not be the real issue in this tape. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition, the first one of 2020, the lightning round. So, ski daddy, stay with Kramer. Is it finally safe to buy the stock CrowdStrike? The cloud-based cybersecurity company came public to great fanfare in June of last year, a couple of months before the IPO window slammed shut. Initially, the stock roared higher, pricing at 34 turning 58 on its first day of trading, then surging all the way to $101 and change at its peak, August 20th. But then Wall Street lost its taste for turbocharged growth stories, and CrowdStrike's stock plummeted back to earth, seeing as low as 44 at its October lows. Now the company reported a terrific quarter a month ago, solid top and bottom line beat with strong guidance, but the stock sold off anyway because the lockup on insider selling was about to expire. But with CrowdStrike lockup expiration now out of the way, stock down at $50.75, you got to ask, is it time to buy? Let's take a close look with George Kurtz. He's the co-founder and CEO of CrowdStrike Holdings. Learn more about how his company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Kurtz, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm sorry I missed you when you were in California. Yeah, well, that won't happen again. We're going to see you. Now, George, I have to tell you, I'm very excited because your stock has come down, but it looks like your revenues are explosive. You're almost, uh, I can see a clear path to a billion dollars for your company. Well, you know, Jim, you said it. we had a great quarter, I think strong execution. Uh, we've got great technology and we're solving a really important problem, and that is keeping companies secure and stopping breaches. Um, so we were excited about the quarter and uh, delighted about the future. Okay, so let's talk about uh, how you can get your half billion dollar run right now. But you're at, you're, I've got to tell you that the revenue growth that I see is unfortunately unlimited because of things like what happened just last night. It, 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 is it possible to expect that the retaliation from Iran will come in the cyber world and not in the physical world? Well, it's certainly a possibility uh, in terms of kinetic and cyber retaliation. And I think what's important for uh, folks to realize is that this happens all the time behind the scenes. Obviously, we had a geopolitical event yesterday, which uh, was large, but these sort of determined adversaries, nation state adversaries, are constantly attacking our corporations and critical infrastructure 24 by 7. And most people really don't understand the extent of these, uh, these attacks and the damage that they can actually inflict. You use a, a, a particular method that has both artificial intelligence and is embedded in the cloud. Uh, what does the artificial intelligence say right now about nation states and what they're up to? Well, we detect uh, many of the nation-state attacks, and we prevent many of those. And the reason why we use artificial intelligence is 
unlike traditional legacy antivirus vendors, um, artificial intelligence doesn't require signatures, meaning we don't have to ever see an attack before to know that it's actually bad. We look at the, the previous attacks, how they operated and their techniques, and we're able to program that into our Falcon platform so we can identify attacks that have never been seen before, particularly uh, uh, attacks from nation-state adversaries. I, I want people to understand, and you have an absolutely terrific deck from December 2019, We Stop Breaches, it's called, that you have a, an array of customers who love you. And the one that I thought was most interesting that I need to know more about, Pokemon, which my kids still play. What does Pokemon need CrowdStrike for? Well, as companies move to the cloud, it's really important to have great protection in the cloud. And that's what we're seeing as a great opportunity for CrowdStrike. When you have these organizations who may start on-premise and move to the cloud, Pokemon has cloud infrastructure, uh, as many do, they need the best protection. And that's why they chose CrowdStrike. So like Pokemon and many of the others, we're really focused on delivering value to them and making sure that we keep their system safe and secure. Well, I have to tell you, I, there are also another element that people... I've heard CrowdStrike from, and that's when President Trump named your company on his phone call with Ukraine's president and claimed that you're, uh, let's say, obscuring, I, I could say hiding, a Democratic National Committee server in Ukraine, and your company is Ukraine-based. Uh, what do you say to what sounds like uh, maybe just as not as informed comment about CrowdStrike? Well, Jim, this is a debunked conspiracy theory. Let me go through a few, a few facts with you first. Number one is we protect and we have the trust of many of the largest Global 2000 companies. Number two is we're headquartered in Sunnyvale, California, and we're publicly traded on uh, the NASDAQ. And number three is none of the founders are Ukrainian or have, any, or have any ties to Ukraine. So I just focus on the facts and just tell you that that's a debunked conspiracy theory and it's just a lot of noise. And we're going to focus on protecting our customers. I'm so glad you did that because I don't want CrowdStrike to be known as somebody some company that's involved in any sort of thing that sounds nefarious. I think you guys have stopped a lot of nefarious behavior, which is terrific. I also want you to talk about, uh, we spent a huge amount of time describing Workday for the HR cloud, ServiceNow for the Service Management cloud, Salesforce for the CRM cloud. You talk about the security cloud. How does that a category definition uh, help our investors, our people to choose your stock? Well, we think we're one of the companies that really will be a cloud pillar. And the companies that you mentioned, whether it's Workday, ServiceNow, Salesforce, are cloud pillars in, in my view. And before CrowdStrike, there really wasn't a security cloud. You had many of the other legacy players, whether it was antivirus or firewall players, uh, that were out there. But no one built a in the, uh, basically a cloud platform from the ground up delivering security, which is what we focused on. And the reason we've seen such tremendous growth is because of our modular approach. Once you have our single agent architecture, uh, you have the ability to add new modules without adding any new agents. And we store all that data and we create new workflows and use our AI to be able to solve some really hard problems. People want security delivered from the cloud, not only because it's, it's better and has better efficacy, but it also consolidates agents. No one wants more of these agents on their endpoints or their workloads uh, than they need to. And we found a way to be able to consolidate that and not only protect on-premise technologies and servers, but also those cloud workloads, which are exploding 
uh, with the large cloud providers. So well, we're excited about what we're doing. All right, well, that, I'm glad you say it's exploding because I did want to ask you whether there's uh, room for everybody. You know, Carbon Black uh, had a, a merger with a company we like very much. Uh, it, 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 are things getting crowded? Uh, are, is, is there still not business go around or is it all share, is it share take when you have something like that? Well, we see it as a natural evolution. Either, you know, you have to adapt or you die. And I think a lot of these companies got sold off because they needed to. Uh, mm. And in our opinion, we've created the cloud platform. And I think our success has, has really uh, forced a lot of these companies to rethink what they were going to do in the future. From our standpoint, we haven't seen a better competitive environment. Uh, we know the cloud is the future. And we know customers like our technology, love our technology, and we're solving really hard problems for them. And I think the cloud workloads represent really an amazing opportunity for CrowdStrike to be able to protect those workloads as they continue to proliferate. And I should mention as part of this $500 million run rate, the annual recurring revenue here is extraordinary, and it also includes Amazon Web Services, which is very important. George, I want to thank you so much for coming on. What a great level to get along CrowdStrike. Great to see you, sir. Great. Thank you. Okay, that, that's George Kirsch, co-founder and CEO of CrowdStrike. Guys, we told you to wait until the stock goes down. We do not suddenly, when it goes down, back away. This one is right. Stick with Kramer. It is time. It's time for the Lightroom Conversion. I'm Ralph one of the teammates. It's Bob. I'm going to the floor. So we only going to play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Joe in Indiana. Joe. Jim, it's nice to hear your voice. Oh, I've been listening back. to you for around 12 years. Oh, thank you. My stock is Shake Shack. I think Shake Shack had a really, really good quarter. And the, sh- the shack is back. And I think it's okay to buy. Although I have to tell you, Wendy's is the cheapest burger company. Tim and Florida Tim. Speak to me, Tim. Yes. Hi, Jim. Yeah, Tim, and you got Kramer. What's up? How you doing? It's Tim from the Wooden Spoon, middle of the beautiful Florida Keys. I love the Keys. My question is, with the disappearance of double-digit income from CDs, REITs seem to be in favor again. Your thoughts on AGNC? I don't like that particular kind of REIT because I don't know what they're in. We don't know. It's had a nice move. Does yield 10%. But I can't recommend something when I don't know what they really own. I need Dominic in California. Dominic! Go ahead, Dominic. I'm Dominic's grandfather. Here's a question for you, Sure, buddy. Booyah, Kramer. I'm a 14-year-old investor calling about a company with a great CEO and Andrew Sassir and great leadership. And there are even rumors of a takeover by companies like Goldman Sachs. But regardless of what happens, do you think U.S. Bank Corp. will be a good investment for me for the future? I do, although let's be careful in terms of that takeover. Remember, Goldman Sachs market cap is smaller than USB. Otherwise, 14-year-olds, you are rocking, and I think that's a good one. I got to tell you, how about this audience? As we start 2020, it's amazing. Let's go to Joyce in New York. Joyce! Hi, Jim. How are you? Happy New Year. Oh, same to you, Joyce. How can I help? Yes, I, I'm really looking for your blessing uh, to buy Luckin Coffee LK tomorrow. I don't deserve your blessing. I don't deserve your answer. I don't deserve your, uh, let's say, um, trust in me on, on Luckin Coffee. Not that I, there was anything dissembling, but I said this stock had peaked, and I was dead wrong. So I cannot sit here, stand here, actually, and tell you, you know what? 
I'm going to give you the best advice on lock-in. I did say buy Starbucks, though. And Starbucks has been uh, a great stock, too. But, yeah, I got to be careful. I didn't understand the, sh- the short squeeze that will become of lock-in. I am recommending Alibaba as the only stock in China that you like the show. Lori in Pennsylvania. Lori! Hi, Jim. This is Lori from Eagles Nation. Oh, my. We need you. We need home dog. Let's go. Uh, We're going to go. You know what? We're going to win. We have a tradition. I call in every holiday, and you always, there's always something going on. I mean, we have the best practice team. They're going to win it for us. Gotcha. I like that. Yeah, we got guys who who are playing for dinner. What's up? I say, yeah, they're hungry. Yeah. They're hungry. Our Eagles, are, they are going to win. Yeah. But actually, I also want to say happy and healthy New Year to you. And Same. I'm really looking forward to your Action Alerts conference call. Oh, thank um, you. I hope I'm not jumping the gun here, but I'm kind of curious what you have to say about Viacom. CD. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it because that is going to be a focus of the call. Why? Because it's still the cheapest in seven times earnings. Viacom, which is now Viacom C, Via C. It, it, it's ridiculous. It's so low. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the first lightning round of 2020. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. The headlines this morning were stark. The Wall Street Journal. Trump's strike kills a top Iranian, the New York Times. U.S. strike in Iraq kills commander of Iranian force. So the market reacts swiftly. Back from vacation, up and at him early. I see the futures down 47 ticks at 4.30 a.m. Going to be a rough day. Sure enough, it was ugly at the opening. Anchors struggled to make sense of who Major General Soleimani was. Uh, what was he doing in Iraq? What's next now that our government has taken him out? I mean, these were all sun... Uh, Top of mind. One after another, I heard guests speculate that oil was headed for 70 maybe $80 once the mighty Iranian regime retaliates. Some of them made it sound like Iran is more powerful than the U.S. Oh, come on. You heard it, too. And what happened? Oil booked up a bit, just a bit. As my friend Rusty Brazil of RBN Energy told me, don't look now, but the forward curve, the most important indicator of where the price of crude is going, where you can buy billions of Billions of dollars worth of crude. It barely budged. It was up 43 cents out five years. Oh, that's nothing. No wonder the stocks of majors like Exxon and Chevron finished down for today. Down! Iran could shut down the Straits of Ruse, one of the most important shipping lanes for a global oil market. They could blow up more Saudi refineries like they did in September with the drones. Yet the market doesn't seem to care. Why not? Because over the past 15 years, we've discovered massive quantities of oil right here in these United States. The moment the price of crude goes up, our producers sell oil futures to raise capital because they have more oil than they know what to do with, and they need some ready cash to ensure that they can keep drilling with less and less money. See, the rate count was down seven today, but they're still drilling. Many of these producers don't have enough in the till. Others are simply trying to live within their means. In short, if Iran takes out, capa- our, uh, takes out capacity over there, our producers will eagerly make up the difference. The world has changed since the days when the Middle East controlled the price of oil. The marginal producer is now the United States. That's why crude is so much trouble getting any kind of lift and really blunts the economic impact of any potential Iranian retaliation, even though, of course, the airline stocks will get down, go down when it happens. Does that mean we should use this Iranian-related weakness to start buying everything in the market? I think we're in a more, uh, let's say, coming into a more complex period. 
earnings. And it makes sense to have some cash when the big players come back next week and see that the market's not down enough if Iran decided to retaliate. It's hard to figure out what their next move will be, isn't it? Uh, one thing's for certain, though. I didn't hear a soul argue that the assassination had to take place to ensure that Iraq would rule itself rather than being an Iranian puppet state that would commit a lot of mayhem. I don't even know if it's possible. Is there sectarian reasons why Iraq and Iran have gotten real buddy-buddy? But here's what I think is no. Going forward, you need to be wary of analysts who are eager to demonstrate big wins here. Sure, we get a couple of price target bumps for Apple one year anniversary after, the, uh, after its vicious pre-announcement. We caught an upgrade of uh, Umana from Goldman Sachs. It worked important, along with two cautionary notes about the Walgreens reports next week. Didn't work. That stock should be lower. But these are all small time. Next week, watch out for analysts and strategists at last back from vacation who try to convince you that the sky is falling because of Iran. Even in the worst case scenario, I just don't think there's a whole lot that Iran can do to hurt our stock market long term. Although if they decide to ratchet up their support for terrorism, well, that could lead to some real tragedies. I think the oil stocks, by the way, are already overdone. Now, if you insist on buying oil, I like BP, first bountiful 6.3% yield. My Chapel Trust owns it, as well as Summer's A, another one it owns, for a rebound in drilling worldwide, something that's already happening. You could go with Pioneer Natural Resources for speculation if you're betting that the price of oil will zoom higher. It could also be taken over, by the way. Otherwise, though, I'd much rather play this Iranian situation with the cybersecurity stocks, which are not at all overdone, and sell the conventional defense card tractors, the hardware, uh, into this giant leap into overvaluation. Stick with Kramer. But you, I, I really like that crowd strike. I mean, it is the, uh, it's the pick of the litter right now. It's good, and it has amazing growth. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. At Fidelity, online U.S. stock and ETF trades are commission-free. $0 commission for online retail Fidelity account U.S. equity and ETF trades. Sell order assessment fee and some account types and securities excluded. See Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC.